0: Morning. morning. My name is David Soren. I'm the lead pastor here at Renovation Church. A morning to you. You know, we live in a culture where ideas on truth and morality and what is right change about as often as the seasons do in Minnesota. And what that does is it creates a dizzying effect in society. It's kind of like this. I love to take uh, my kids to, to parks, to playgrounds. We love to go to different places. And a couple weeks ago, we went to a park that had one of those old school merry-go-rounds. You know what I'm talking about? Let me show you a picture if you forgot what I'm talking. Like this, okay? Anybody ever break an arm on this, like as a kid? Okay. So we saw one of these and I thought, okay, all right. You know, you don't see something like this all the time. And so I walked onto it right in the middle and I looked at my kids and I said, spin it fast. (laughs) And of course, you know, they were just like giving it everything they got, right? And I, and I get off, and it wasn't as fun as I remembered. <laughs> and when you get off, you, you have this, like, effect, right, where it's spinning, and you're trying to figure out which direction is which, right? And I was thinking about that this week, and I thought, that, that right there, I think, is an apt summary for how many people are experiencing our culture today. Here's another way to look at it. You know, if you were to do a project and you were to gather a bunch of news articles from 1992, and then you grabbed a bunch more from 2002, and then maybe some more from 2012 and then a bunch from today in 2022. What would happen is, as you looked at all those, if you pick like a certain topic to study over those four select years, you know maybe you picked sex or sexuality or marijuana or gender I mean, pick any hot button issue. if you tracked public opinion of truth. The public view of truth over those four slices of time, you would see that the public's view of truth changes constantly. In fact, if you did that study, your head would be spinning like you just got off a merry-go-round by how much of those articles, each of them claiming truth, contradicted each other. But there is a worldview, there is a way of life that never changes. And I want to talk about the beauty of that this morning. Now, if this is your first time here this morning, you came on a wonderful day to come for the very first time, uh, because this morning we are starting a brand new teaching series on the book of Colossians. So one of the things we do here at Renovation Church is often we'll teach right through every single verse uh, through a book of the Bible, and this morning we are starting Colossians, uh, which is a letter, and as we get into it, since this is our first morning in it, in it what I want to do is just for a minute here, is give you some of the historical context of it. Like, what was the setting in which this letter was originally written? Now, Colossians was written by a man that we call the Apostle Paul. And Paul was a fierce opponent of Christianity until he had a powerful experience meeting Jesus Christ that radically changed his life. and So much so that Paul began to preach the good news about Jesus all around the Roman Empire, So much so that they arrested him for it, and they threw him into a prison in Rome. And it was from that Roman prison that Paul wrote the letter of Colossians. And I think he wrote it somewhere between the year 60 to 63 AD. So it's about 30-ish years or so after Jesus uh, died and resurrected. So, he writes to the Colossians. Who are the Colossians? Well, they are the people of Colossae, which was a small city. Maybe you're wondering, I don't know where Colossae is. What a great time for a map. Who wants to see a map? Yeah. Amen. Well, if you don't, too late. Okay, let's take a look at this map. So, here we go. We have Europe, right? You know how you find things in Europe? Of course, you start with the boot, right? Right? Okay, the boot to Italy, we've got Greece, Africa's down here, and Israel. Over here, this is Turkey, right? And Colossae was this little city in a fairly far western uh, Turkey. And we're going to find out in our passage today that what happened in history is one of Paul's friends, a man by the name of Epaphras, went to Colossae with the good news of Jesus, and he planted a church, much like we were talking about. We're trying to spread the gospel by planting churches all over the metro. So he goes to Colossae, he plants a church, he leads many people to Jesus Christ. Christ. Well, after that, Epaphras goes to Rome, for whatever reason, we don't know, to visit his friend, the Apostle Paul. And while he's there visiting Paul, who's in prison, he tells Paul about his church plant and the the highs and lows of church planting. And Paul agrees that he'll write a letter to the church plant, to the Christians at Colossae. And it is the letter of Colossians. So that's kind of the background of Colossians. So everybody grab a Bible. Uh, if you didn't bring your own, there's a Bible under the chair in front of you or under your chair if you're in the front row. And we're going to be on page 804. While you find it, let me tell you one more interesting fact. Uh, Back in May, we did a really short three-week series on one of the shortest letters in the Bible called Philemon. Uh, Philemon was a slave owner who owned uh, a slave uh, named Onesimus. Well, Onesimus runs away. He ends up in Rome where he somehow meets the apostle Paul, becomes a Christian, and then Paul writes to the slave owner, Philemon, urging him to free Onesimus. Well, do you know where Onesimus and Philemon were from? Colossae. And so in history, which is kind of neat, the letter of Philemon and the letter of Colossians were actually delivered together at the same time. So kind of neat that we're studying them both this year. Okay, so we are Colossians uh, chapter one. I'll write it at verse one because we're at the beginning of the book. Here's what it says. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Now, uh, quick side note. In those days, uh, well, uh, let me say it this way. N- nowadays, when you sign a letter, where do you put your name? At the end, right? In those days, you would actually put your name at the beginning of a letter. So that's why it starts that way says, and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, and of the love you have for all of God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven, about what you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. Okay, let's pause there for a few minutes. Okay, so what's interesting here is that the people living in Colossae were living in a culture that is just as confusing as our modern day one. And so the people of Colossae in Western, what is now Western Turkey, at one point they had been taken over by Alexander the Great and the Greeks. And so the Greeks came in and they brought all their Greek culture and their Greek gods And not too long after that, then the Roman Empire came in, and they brought in all their Roman culture and their Roman gods. And so in Colossae, paganism abounded, and you could kind of pick whichever lifestyle or whichever god amongst the pantheon of different gods that you wanted to worship. Uh, Even the legalistic Jews had reached that area, and they were saying, no, you need to live this way, and you need to follow this moral. And so it's in the midst of all of that, That the Christians of Colossae are watching their culture spin all around them. And Paul writes this letter about how Jesus is over everything. About how Jesus is like nothing they have ever experienced. Because Jesus is not a lifeless idol. And Jesus is not some latest moral philosophy of the day. Jesus is the real life son of God. And what Paul describes in kind of a broader passage this morning is what we could call the tree of gospel hope. Now, if you're not as familiar with this word gospel, or if you've heard it a couple times, The gospel is essentially this. Gospel means good news, and the good news of the New Testament in the Bible is that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross for us, and if we would believe that Jesus died in our place, that would forgive all of our sins, Jesus will come into our life, change our life, and then we can have eternal life right now and with Jesus forever. That's good news. That's the gospel. Okay, so what is the tree of gospel hope that's kind of fleshed out in this passage? Okay, look at verse 5 again. So in verse 5, there's a bunch of terms here. He says, The faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about what you have heard in the true message of the gospel. Okay, so now kind of keeping that in front of you, let me show you all of those terms in a word picture and how they go together. So here we go. Here we have a tree. This is just sort of like a fledgling tree just beginning. And what we see here is that we have faith and love, and they spring up from, what does the text say? From hope. So hope is the root, and out of that spring faith and love. Now let me point out something. How we use the word hope today in kind of our common vernacular is different than how they use the word hope in the Bible. And I want to I talk about that for a second. So if I use the word hope today and I say something like, I hope the Timberwolves actually win a playoff series this year. Okay, amen. Uh, what, what I'm saying is I wish for that to be true, but let's not get ahead of ourselves. It's been 18 years, okay? That's kind of how we use the word hope today, but not so in the Bible. Hope in the Bible is when we are confident our desire will be fulfilled in the future. Okay, so what is the hope in this passage? Look at it again. What, what is the connection? What does it say right after hope? It says the hope stored up for you in heaven. Okay, so what that means is what is your hope in? Your hope is in this thing that you believe in Jesus and you hope that your gospel faith will be vindicated so that when you die, hopefully at 97 or something like that, but when you die, you hope that what you believe in is true and so that you will meet Jesus and spend all of eternity in paradise with him. And as Paul is saying, it's that hope, that hope right there that actually, if it's true, if it's real, it springs into faith and into love. And now let's kind of talk practically what that looks like, how that goes. And so here's the first truth I want you to see about the tree of gospel hope, which is really just a metaphor for your own Christian walk. The tree of gospel hope. So number one, if you are a believer in Jesus, one of the unique things about you is you are planted. If you're taking notes, you could even write, you are rooted in hope. And I actually think this is one of the most unique things about Christians in modern day America, because If you're a Christian, you are planting yourself, you are rooting yourself in a fixed worldview. Okay, Because the Christian is saying, I have an unchanging hope that Jesus died for me. And so I am planting myself on him and on his teachings. Uh, The Bible uses this imagery a lot, actually. Uh, Psalm 1 is a good example. Jeremiah 17 is another good example. Let me show you a a piece of Jeremiah 17 here on the screen. Uh, Jeremiah says this, But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord whose confidence, you could even say whose hope is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when the heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. There is so much wisdom in planting your life next to Jesus Christ, my friend. In fact, let me, let me address... A particular group in our church. Uh, Over the last few months, I've had a number of people kind of point this out to me, and I'm seeing it with my own eyes. I've noticed so many more of you in your 20s coming to this church, uh, many of you even in your early 20s. And I don't exactly know why you're coming here, uh, but I'm guessing that for many of you, what you're finding here is that you can learn the scriptures. But I would just say to that particular group, to you who are in early adulthood and you're feeling the spinning culture around you, maybe even more intensely than some others, to you, I say, root yourself deeply in God's word. You need to say like the old song, just like a tree planted by the water, I shall not be moved. And if you do that, his streams of living water, they will pay dividends in your life for decades. Okay, so we first, so you see, really the first thing in this passage is you've got to plant yourself. You root yourself in something that is unchanging. Let's keep reading now. So we are, uh, just a couple words into verse 6. So it says this. Paul says, In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since you first heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epiphras, that's that church planter, our dear fellow servant who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. Okay, here's the second thing I want you to see from this tree of gospel hope, which is just your walk with God. So number one is you are rooted, right? You are planted in hope. And then number two, if you're rooted in hope, you should be growing as a Christian. You should grow to be strong. That's what the tree of gospel hope does. So you see this metaphor. Look at verse 6. It says, the tree of gospel hope has been planted. That's you're a follower of Jesus. So you're growing so much so that now you've grown and you are bearing fruit. And we're going to talk more about that in a minute. And then Paul goes on and he says, I'm praying for the Colossians. I'm praying that they're growing. And then he describes what growth looks like. So if you're still looking at it, he just has a whole list. We could almost list them all out. So verse 9, he talks about you're going to grow followers of Jesus in knowledge, in wisdom. Verse 10, he says you're going to grow in a godly life. So your life over time should start to look more like Jesus. Verse 11, because you're strengthened in God's power, you're going to start to have more endurance. You're going to start to have more patience. So what this is saying, if we go back to our tree sketch, this is the teaching of this passage, that the more you're rooting yourself down in this hope of what's coming next to the stream of living water, Jesus, what happens is your faith, the trunk of your faith, the bulk of who you are, it starts to grow and grow and grow. And to the point that people will even begin to notice the change of the fruit of love and all sorts of fruit in your life. Now, let me say something, because... Some of you, when you think about your life changing, you're going, I don't know if I see a ton of that. Especially lately, maybe the last few years. Now, I think every person should soberly ask themselves, am I truly in Christ? Am I truly saved? Do I have a relationship with Christ? And if you can answer, yes, I do, but I just feel like I'm not seeing a ton of change, well, then I want you to think of it this way. So last weekend, uh, my father-in-law was over at our house, and he was commenting on something in our yard, and he looked out at at our uh, tree we have in the front, and he said, when did that tree get so huge? Now, my wife and I, we, we bought our house in 2011, uh, but the previous owners had planted a river birch tree in the front yard uh, the year before, in 2010, and it was just this tiny thing, maybe about this tall, just, you know, what you get from the store, I don't what are those stores called again? Nursery, thank you. Uh, just, wow, I shouldn't think of stuff on the spot. Okay, and so they got this small tree from the nursery, and now... 12 years later, it looks like this. I brought a picture of it. It's massive. And they grow fast. So it just exploded up. But here's the thing. There was never a time in the last 11 years where I walked outside and I said, Lindsay, would you look at that? The tree is an eighth of an inch bigger. Let's take a picture. Let's throw a party. (laughs) Change, right? Because change, we don't notice change like that. You know, if you think about our own lives, it's more like this. Last week, when I was in house groups, I was in my small group and I was sharing with some of the guys about this. I said, before I became a Christian, I can't even begin to tell you how much I hated other people. You know, there's a verse in Titus chapter three where Paul is going through the list of kind of what we used to be like before we knew Christ. And one of the examples he gives is that we were hated and we hated one another. Whenever I read that verse, I'm just like, "Mm mm-hmm, like that, that was me. I would literally lie in bed at night, and I would think of people who had even slightly wronged me, and how I was going to get them back, and how I hated them for what they did. And then, I gave my life to Jesus Christ, and it was maybe, I don't know, two or three years later, I'm just walking along one day, and I have this kind of, huh, observation moment about my life. And I thought, no way. And I realized, I don't, hate anyone anymore i just don't i literally can't even think of somebody that i hate but the thing is there wasn't a method right it wasn't like once a month i was like well i'll cross them off my hate list right it just it didn't work like that it was just one day i looked up and i said how did that tree get so big and see god is often going to grow your faith that way over time very seldom isn't miraculously overnight. And so for me, that sort of change happened. It happened because I planted my life in the gospel hope that God had truly forgiven me a hate-filled person. And if God could forgive a hate-filled, rage-filled person like me, then I can forgive other people. And so I just started to do that. And that process strengthened the body, the trunk of my faith, and that process—watching the tree grow—it's beautiful to watch in other people. Sometimes you can't see it as well in yourself, but you can see it in other people. And here's what happens. Let me give you another example. On Tuesday this week, I was at home. Uh, we were just about to, ready to eat dinner, and one of my kids was singing this Christian kid song that I'd never heard before. And he's singing this song, and I won't sing it for you because I can't really sing. But the the song essentially went like this. He said, "The." Deeper the roots grow, the better the fruits grow. And I went, come on now. (laughs) And I thought, what are the chances that you're singing this song? I've never even heard while I'm teaching on this subject. But that's good. It's true. You think about it. Okay, so think about the tree sketch again, right? The deeper that you press in, okay, the deeper you go down into the gospel hope, what happens is the tree grows and your fruit grows grows. So I think one of the main questions you're asking yourself right now is, where is God calling to your heart right now even saying, come back to me. Let's press in again this week. Let's go deeper this week. Listen to that. Follow that calling from the Holy Spirit. Because it is the fruit that actually will change the world around you. Because when you grow the fruit, what will happen is people will see things in your life that they don't see in their own. Just think back to where we started like okay if a person's worldview is truly spinning around it's always changing so how they think about life morality truth if it's always changing well let's run with the metaphor what would that look like that would be like okay you get a tree seedling from a nursery which i just learned thank you and you get a tree seedling it would be like planting it in the sand right not good soil and you leave it there for like a year or two nothing's really happening so you dig it up you're like this isn't working i'll try some other system And then you plant it in the Arctic tundra, right? And you try that for a couple years and well, that's not really working. So you rip it up again and you walk over to the desert and said, now this is what everybody seems to be believing now. I'm reading a lot of articles. People are posting on social media about it. Boom, let's put it in the desert. And again, it's not, you don't see the change process and you certainly don't see the fruit. But the tree, the life of the Christ follower looks so different. Again, here's the tree of gospel hope. Number one, that it is planted Okay, it's unchanging. It's rooted in hope. It grows. You are growing. You are changing. And number three, its fruit blesses other people. We see this in verse 10. Paul says, you will be bearing fruit in every good work. Also back in verse 6, look at that one. He says, in the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world. So what happens? You're digging into Christ. God is changing you. There's the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, all these things. They're growing in your life. People see your fruit and they want it in part because it is different. My friends, we right now in this culture, we are different. And I just want you to know that's okay. See, it's not only okay, it's it's good. It is good. Because this kind of different, it is grounded Okay? It is strong and it is beautiful because the Christian life is rooted in something beyond this life. You see, think about our world. In a world of spinning confusion and growing anxiety and growing darkness, I think the fruit on the tree of the gospel hope looks amazing. And so if you can root yourself deeper into Jesus and you can grow and people see that fruit You know what's going to happen? The seeds of hope start to spread. And we will see a revival of hope all around us. You know, in summer, I read for the very first time about a man named John Harper. I don't know if you know that name or not, but John Harper uh, was uh, on the Titanic when it sank in 1912. And that night, 1,528 people fell into the frigid waters. And John Harper... He was able to get, he was traveling with his six-year-old daughter. He was able to get his six-year-old on a lifeboat. And then John Harper purposefully, intentionally jumped into the frigid waters. So he goes in the frigid waters. He quickly realizes he's not going to be able to do much to help people because people are dying. The reports say somewhere between like three to seven or eight minutes of just hypothermia because the ocean waters were so cold and no one was coming to rescue them. And so he realizes people are dying like this all around me and they're going to eternity to meet their maker where they're going to spend forever in either heaven or hell. And so he, as a strong believer, goes around and he just starts sharing the gospel with people, the good news on how they can be saved because that's all you can do. And that's the most important thing you can do anyway. And so he's sharing with people how to be saved and people are responding and they're accepting the message. We swims over to this young adult man and he begins to share the gospel with him and he explains it and the young man looks at him and he, he rejects him. He says, I don't want this. I don't want to be saved. I don't need this. He goes, okay. And John Harper takes his life jacket off and gives it to the young man who had rejected him and says, here, you take this. You need this more than I do. And he swims away. And he begins to share with other people. Other people are responding. And as he's doing that, he feels the Holy Spirit begin to say, you got to go back to the young man. So he comes back to the young man who had rejected him. He explains the gospel in a different way again. And eventually the young man says, you know what? I need this. And he gives his life to Jesus Christ. And only minutes after that, John Harper, after leading many, many people to Christ in the frigid waters, he breathes his last. And right before he dies, he screams out to the dying people, believe in the name of the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, which is Acts 16. Now, what's crazy is of the 1,528 people that fell in the water, only six of them were rescued and survived by lifeboats, six. And one of the six was this young man who had given his life to Christ after he got the life jacket. And that young man grew up to become a passionate follower of Jesus Christ. But think about the juxtaposition here. So we actually know a ton about the Titanic from history, right? And there's a, there's a movie with Leonardo DiCaprio you might, you might know <laughs> from. But one of the things you may remember, or maybe just remember this from the movie, that's okay, is that many of the lifeboats along the Titanic, that they were launched and let go way before they were at capacity, right? They might have sat like 50 people on the lifeboat. They got like 15 people on. They're like, let's go. Let's get out of here. And so there were all these open seats. And not only that, they went down and they heard the people screaming in the frigid waters, save me, save me, save me. And they didn't. In fact, we know that there were over 500 open seats on the lifeboats, not far away, while the people screamed in agony, dying. But here we have John Harper, who from the very beginning purposefully jumps in the water come on that's who you want to be okay john harper jumps in the water why well because john harper has a gospel hope he has a gospel hope that as paul says is stored up in heaven and that hope is so strong and it is rooted so deep the trunk of faith is strong that he's bearing the fruit of love by giving his life so others may have eternal life That's the picture we need, and I think it's becoming more important than ever in our culture. I got to tell you that of all the conversations that I've had with people over the last two or three years, I just talk to people throughout the week or in the lobby, one of the most common conversations I've had is people come up to me and they say, David, the culture around us is spinning right now. It is, they'll say, it is like not so it's crazy out there like what in the world and lots of times people will say like get me out of minnesota like get me i want to move to like a christian commune or something like i just don't i can't be around what's happening right now but here's the truth yeah i think in some ways you're right it's crazy the culture is shouting out in confusion it's waving its hands but it is doing so because it is drowning And so don't go away. Don't row away on a lifeboat while your neighbor perishes. While your family member, maybe even the one that drives you crazy, don't go away on a lifeboat while they perish. Because the message that you have, Christian, it is beautiful. And people need to see it. They need to see your heart up close, that you would be the one that would give up a life jacket for them if they needed it. They need to see it, and that is how the gospel of hope spreads and changes the world. And I gotta tell you, if you're here and you're just beginning to kind of make sense of what that gospel, that good news is over the last couple weeks, for some of you, maybe it's been a process of even six to 12 months. If that's where you're at, I to. Okay. Oh. Am I, is my other mic back on? No, still off? Okay, I'll use this. No problem. Here, Here's—okay, so if you're, if you're beginning to just process through that gospel hope, what I want you to do is I want you to really look hard at these last two verses. So open up again and look at verses 13 and 14. And I'm actually going to call our, our band back on at this time, too. Okay, here's what they say. It says, For he— has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Okay, this is what God has done for us. So I was living my life as not a Christian in the dominion of darkness, okay? I was living my life governed by pride and sin. And it didn't work. But the Bible says that Jesus Christ came on a rescue mission for me and for you. And he died on the cross for your sins. And these two verses, look at them. Look, they are from God's holy word. They are not lying to you. What they're saying is that you can have redemption. That you can have redemption. That means you may have been walking in the dominion of darkness. Okay, and in a room this size of people, there may be some of you where you feel like the choices you've made lately, that they just have been dark, honestly. You're walking in the dominion of darkness. Right, and there may be people who think, Oh, God's shaking his finger at you. Okay, let me tell you what the word of God actually says. Okay, the word of God says that you are walking in the dominion of darkness, but that Jesus Christ pushed his way into that dominion of darkness and then paid the price of justice to get you out. And the ransom for that was his death. But he didn't stay dead, he is resurrected, he is alive. And he is in this room right now. And if you grab his hand and you say, Jesus, I got to go. I got to leave this. I can't walk in this anymore. Grab my hand. If you grab his hand, the promise of this truth, it is not lying to you. I have seen him do this a hundred times. What it is saying is he will grab your hand. He will take you out of the dominion of darkness. He will transfer you to the kingdom of his son where you become a child of God and he will plant you right next to the Father and he will come in, he will change your life and you will spend forever in his kingdom. But you gotta grab his hand. You gotta say, I am leaving that behind. I am so sorry, Jesus. Forgive me, save me, bring me into your kingdom. That is the choice of faith. And if you need to make that choice for the first time to walk out of that dominion and into the kingdom of the Son, to believe he died for you, What we're going to do is this. We're going to sing a final song called Tremble. And it is a song of worship about how Jesus has conquered over the dominion of darkness. And at any time during the song, if you need to make this choice, to be forgiven, to let him lead your life, at any time during the song, I want you to just get out of your seat and come down to the front, to walk down by the front of the stage to say, I'm grabbing his hand. And then at the end, I'll come up and I'll pray with you, okay? Alright, let's worship.